This episode is powered by Safety FM. The Crucial Talks Podcast with your host, Mike Saddam. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Saddam, the host of the Crucial Talks Podcast, where we believe if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. Before we get into this episode, I'd like to ask you for a quick favor. If you could please subscribe to, review, and share the podcast, I'd greatly appreciate it. And if you ever need to get in touch with me, if you have any questions, you could always visit me at www.crucialtalks.com or find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Now, for those of you that have been listening for a while, you already know this, but for any new listeners, you'll see that this podcast is all about the human side of everything we do. It's truly about people. And more specifically, it's about how to have a positive, strength-based approach to human behavior. Now, I've talked about these things before, but there are really three pillars I use here on the podcast and in most of my speaking, writing, and consulting. And the first is self-categorization and how people use it to transform themselves. The second is social identity. And that really comes down to how groups behave, thinking about in-groups and out-groups and how they treat each other. And the third is appreciative inquiry and how it can impact human-based systems. And that's why I am so excited for today's podcast. First, we get to talk about appreciative inquiry. And for more on appreciative inquiry, you can listen to episode 39, which is where I talk about it. You can listen to episode 46 with Sherry Torres or episode 51 with Jackie Stavros. And second, we get to talk about resilience. Now, I've talked a little bit about how to use communication to build resilience in episode 28. And that was about using communication in a group to build resilience. Now, when I got an email for these next two guests, there was a line in there that really drew my interest. And it said that resilience is a skill we develop every day with the people around us. Now, I found this super interesting. It drew my attention because a lot of what you see with resilience today focuses on the individual. But the power is in focusing on groups. And this is a really important nuance for us because if we realize that people are the most social creature on the planet and we realize that what makes us different from other social creatures is the fact we can construct reality with each other, merely focusing on resilience as something we do by ourselves misses what has made us so successful as a species. And that's why my two guests today, I think, are going to be really fascinating to talk to because they talk about appreciative inquiry and they talk about resilience. Now, they're both PhDs, and they're both experts in appreciative inquiry. So Dr. Jeannie Cockle and Dr. Joan MacArthur Blair are co-presidents of Cockle MacArthur Blair Consulting and co-authors of Building Resilience with Appreciative Inquiry. Now, this book is, I mean, it's a super good book because it talks about those two things, but this conversation we're going to have today gives us a little bit of background on where they came from so that they can get to this place where they're able to consult, where they're able to write this book to help so many people. So without further ado, I'd really like to welcome Jeannie Cockle and Joan MacArthur Blair to the Crucial Talks podcast. How are you both doing today? Great, Mike. Yeah, it's great to be here, Mike. 
Well, I think it's going to be awesome uh, because just looking at the book, looking at some of the things you guys are doing online. I mean, this book has a foreword by David Cooper writer. So to me, that means it's an awesome resource for AI practitioners. I mean, for anybody out there that has anything to do with AI, David Cooper writer kind of like started this whole movement. And with him writing the foreword, that automatically gives this book credibility, in my opinion. Before we get started, though, how did you guys get to this place where you could write this book, Building Resilience with Appreciative Inquiry, A Leadership Journey Through Hope, Despair, and Forgiveness. How did you get here? Oh, Mike, I'm, I'm going to start. This is, uh, this is Joan. and um, I've always been fascinated by the nature of human resilience, the ways in which we're able to sustain in the everyday and in the really challenging times. Um, I grew up in a, on a dairy farm and... You know, I remember being in the in the fields and, you know, my mother and father making the decision to take the crop off or not take the crop off in the wet and stormy season and the the risks involved in that and the then sustaining for another year, regardless of what uh, the outcome was. And so I had I think I had early lessons in the nature of of human resilience and I've always been fascinated by resilience and I've been practicing appreciative inquiry for over 18 years now and bringing the two of them together makes so much uh, sense to me. And of course, you know, between being a child and now I've, I've undertaken a lot of study, both about appreciative inquiry uh, and resilience and spent a lot of time talking to leaders about what sustains them uh, in the everyday as they work with their organizations and with groups. And for me, Mike, this is Jeannie. I have always looked at the world, uh, I think because of my mother, who always said, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, and don't mess with Mr. in between, if you remember that one. Um, and uh, so I grew up in a family where that was an expectation, was to look at the world through that lens. And so as I you know, entered my career, I'm an educator, so I was a math teacher first, and I you know, I was a department chair at the college and uh, dean, and I did all those kinds of uh, various formal roles. Uh, I had a, had a child uh, who also taught me a lot about uh, what it means to look at the world uh, with a positive view, because that's more likely to help your child than the other way around. Now she's 38 years old, and she says, I've learned everything I do now, and my success is because of you. So it's a very powerful thing, as you say, working with others. It's not an alone trip that you do. Uh, but for me, moving into Appreciative Inquiry um, as a consultant, I've been on the, uh, in the consulting business for well, 20 years, actually, this year, and uh, working with all different kinds of organizations and seeing how worldwide and across all sectors and kinds of people and so on that this approach, the Appreciative Inquiry approach, really does build resilience. We saw that with our clients. They were maybe wanting us to do strategic planning or team building and what the other outcome, the, the bigger outcome, was really the fact that they also built resilience as they moved along through the outcomes of the work that we did with them and then continued the work and the practice themselves. So it's a really wonderful world to be in. Well, and when we're talking about appreciative inquiry, because I know there's some probably some new listeners that haven't listened to the other episodes where we talk about appreciative inquiry, what it is, the value of it, how to use it, that sort of thing. Can you talk to us a little bit about 
what you think appreciative inquiry is in layman's terms, what it means to people. And then based on that, can we lead into what you mean by appreciative resilience? Well, I think appreciative inquiry, you know, two simple, powerful words. Um, to really approach situations, people's, the day-to-day uh, of work, big organizational change, appreciating what is, to be fully aware, to appreciate in value, to actually take something and increase its value, and appreciate in the sense of the positive. What are the strengths of an organization, a team, an individual, um, and to inquire to be profoundly curious about what might be possible in the world. Uh, What is it that an organization is good at and could do more of to solve the challenges it has, to expand the successes it has? Two two very simple words, to appreciate and to acquire. Um, And it really is about human beings. It's about how we might be as human beings in our workplaces, in our organizations, in our families even. And so I'm going to let Jeannie talk a little bit about how we got to appreciative resilience, and uh, then I might add a couple more things. Oh, I just wanted to tag on to the appreciative inquiry, Joan, that you've done, and that is, you know, in a nutshell, we usually just say to people, well, let's focus on what's working well in order that you get more of what's working well. And it's a nice, succinct way because it sort of challenges a normal paradigm that we seem to be living in of fixing what's not working well. Well, what gets fixed by appreciative inquiry is it goes beyond that. It goes beyond getting back to the status quo of now it's working and goes beyond if that's working well, what more can we do based on building on what we've identified together as working well. So I just wanted to put that piece onto the, you know, short-term way you can say appreciative inquiry. And uh, moving that to appreciative resilience, we basically built a model around leadership uh, states of hope, despair, and forgiveness. I'll let Joan go into that, but I wanted to just circle it with the appreciative inquiry, which is appreciative inquiry has, you know, lots of tools and processes that can be used. Uh, it has a way of looking at the world, a mindset or what we call being AI. And that, as an individual, can practice every day together with others by oneself. Uh, and uh, leadership, appreciative leadership, and how do you apply to leadership situations? Uh, and what are the basic principles? Often people learn about appreciative quiet tools, they engage with a 4D process or a 5D process or a SOAR process, all these, you know, little acronyms for various ways of actually, you know, using the tools and processes. And underpinning those are the principles um, of how, what actually guides those processes. So I wanted to speak to that. And then if you do that around the states that I'll let Joan get started with, uh, which really helps our leadership resilience. So, Appreciative resilience, you know, as Jeannie says, it's like hugging resilience by appreciative inquiry. If you want to think about it that way, right? It just holds it tight. Because when we first started many years ago having conversations with leaders about resilience, we were really interested in the way a practice of hope and a hopeful view can advance resilience for individual leaders and for groups and for organizations. We spent a lot of time kind of in that place. And the leaders began to kind of pull us aside and say, you know, I'm not doing okay. 
you know, I have challenges in my leadership that are causing me to flounder. And we began to understand that leaders were moving from hope to despair in their leadership lives. Um, and by despair, we don't need necessarily always, you know, brought to your knees despair, but what we call the glancing blow of despair, you know, that, you know, by tomorrow morning, you'll have shaken it off and you're back doing what you do, but it's despair nonetheless. It, 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 uh, um, undertakes the heart being uh, sad in some way. And so we began to look at hope, dis- hope and despair and the practices uh, of hope and despair as building resilience. And then the more we talked to leaders and the more we, we studied, we realized there was a third profound um, thing going on for resilient uh, people, organizations, and teams. And that was the practice of forgiveness. And, and it's fascinating to us how leaders talk about having to navigate the landscape of forgiveness in order to move their organizations and themselves forward. Uh, that without it, uh, they can't build that resilient self. And so appreciative resilience is appreciative inquiry holding the practices and the experiences people have in practicing hope and a hopeful view, in undertaking to understand their strengths in times of despair, and deciding to have the will to forgive as a way forward. So that's what appreciative resilience is. And uh, it's a very reflective kind of practice for people to undertake in the very simple day-to-day of their leadership. And appreciative resilience um, is really about practicing, like practicing all of the various uh, approaches from appreciative inquiry lens to make it appreciative resilience, and to practice through those states of hope, despair, and forgiveness. And it's about uh, how all of us actually approach it in our own individual ways, because we're individual people. And I think it's rather than these are the 12 steps to be appreciative resilient, it'll be, these are the you know, the kinds of ways that you can apply and practice in order to really be a practitioner of appreciative resilience. So it's not like we're saying do it our way and we're inviting and we tell stories, we tell other people's stories. We interviewed lots of leaders and they tell some amazing stories. Uh, and those, those stories then illustrate, you know, again, that notion of their choices around how do they move through hope, despair, and forgiveness? How do they practice that hopeful view how do they learn the difficult task of forgiveness and how do they either move through despair or reside within it as long as it's going to be there but with that practice of focusing on what their capacity is one i i love what you guys are saying there because when i when you said the words hugging resilience by appreciative inquiry it really you know i wrote this blog post i actually had a uh an episode on this about safety where I talked about the forest and Yoda and things like that, where the, you know, he says a forest surrounds everything and all that. It's kind of sounds, I know it sounds a little weird, but it kind of sounds like that where, mm-hmm. where appreciative inquiry is this thing. That's just, it's, it's the practices, it's the theories, it's the, um, the learning ability of it, the application of it that surrounds resilience where a lot of the work in resilience might be focused on, you know, a 12 step process or do A, B, C, 
you'll become more more resilient. But really, what you're saying is we need to have we need to have a kind of a broader look on it because it may not be the same for everybody. And that's where the power of AI is with respect to how you guys are helping people build resilience. And I, I think that that's what you're saying is, is so powerful in our, in our work that when we spend time talking to leaders and interviewing leaders, uh, we discovered to no great surprise that not a single leader had a perfect formula for resilience. They practiced it in their own way. They brought their skills and appreciative inquiry to building their resilience in their own way. Um, and, and it made us realize, again, the kind of obviousness of resilience, that it is um, a lonely endeavor in some ways, that resilience for me is different than it is for Jeannie than it is for you. And yet we can bring appreciative practices to sustaining ourselves in the day-to-day that are things we can bring. Because the output for me might be grit. The output for Jeannie might be courage. The output for you might be withdrawal and rest. Those are all resilience practices, but they're not the same for each of us. But if we understand the ways in which hope, despair, and forgiveness interact in an appreciative way, then we begin to build our own practice. And that's what Jeannie and I are really trying to do with leaders is to give them some tools to build their own resilience practice. Well, I think that's a great place to kind of transition just because, you know, we've talked about appreciative inquiry that's strength-based, positive approach to human systems. But in your book, you do use words such as hope, despair, and forgiveness. Now, when I look at these words, especially hope and despair, and, and I know it depends on context. It could be thought of as either a positive or a negative. But when I see the word hope, I feel like it means having this expectation of something good happening. But then when I see this word despair, I feel like that's what people say when hope isn't there. So with these two things, I mean, I, I know we'll get into forgiveness also, but with hope and despair, can we talk a little bit more about the importance of these two things that it kind of at first glance, when somebody sees that, they look to be opposed to each other. But in reality, based on what you're saying in your book and, and some of the stuff you're talking about, these are necessary parts of building resilience. How do we correlate that so that people can understand it better that, that hope and despair are, I don't know what you'd call it, stages or things they have to understand, but just looking at the words, they seem like they might be opposed to each other, but in reality, they aren't. I think that's a good way to look at it because by definition, despair is hopelessness, right? <laughs> so you're right. They not only look like that, but by just de- definition. And um, we visualize the diagram because uh, for our model because it's intersecting circles of hope, despair, and forgiveness. And sometimes hope can be a big circle. It, you know, we don't do this in our book. We have them as static circles. But in terms of the practice of resilience, Sometimes hope fills the, <laughs> fills the day. Sometimes despair fills the day. Sometimes forgiveness, you know, is larger. And, and I think that relationship is more intertwined, especially between hope and despair. That you and, and hope we define as not the expectation that a particular something is going to happen, but more like what's meant to happen will happen if we open our uh, hearts to a hopeful view that we're kind of surprised sometimes that bad things happen and we can easily get into despair about that and hopelessness. And yet, as we look at how it's going and how we're working 
well with it, what strengths we bring to it, and seeing other people's strengths and open up to the ideas that are out there and the creativity, you know, through that appreciative inquiry lens, we actually realize that what happens in the outcome is is a hope, it is that hope of what's meant to be in order to do well within whatever that situation and to work with with that despair. So I, I think they are opposite, but they're also very intertwined. And as we talk to, to leaders, um, you know, one, one CEO put it so perfectly, I thought we were talking to her about hope, despair, and forgiveness. And she said, that describes my daily life. She said, I go through those three states at least five times in a day as a CEO. And so, and so they are incredibly interlinked in our uh, working lives, these three states of hope, despair, and forgiveness. And so when we're talking about these states, right, like we're, say I'm, I'm working through my day and I'm dealing with stuff constantly. There's always something going on. So these different states, and I'm trying to visualize them in my head, where you've got hope, despair, and forgiveness. Is it kind of like a Venn diagram where you're dealing with all three of these things, but it's not just a static Venn diagram, right? Something no. nice on a piece of paper. It could be like a huge amount of despair, depending on what happened during your, during your day, but hope might just be this little tiny circle in the corner, yes. right? So where does where does all that play into dealing with appreciative resilience or practicing to get more resilient. How does that, how does hope, despair, and forgiveness, how does that kind of that Venn diagram that's constantly moving, how do we use that to kind of understand how we're going to do this day to day or how we're going to do it in our organizations or within ourselves to build this, this resilient capacity? Uh, You know, most of us want to get to being hopeful and a hopeful view, right? And that's where the appreciative inquiry goes. We want to actually expand that that particular part of the Venn diagram in our days. And so the practice of, for example, um, one of the appreciative inquiry practices that's very powerful is the is the art of reframing from you know the disaster that's in front of us, the despair that's happening around us, or internally, externally, or internally. And to be able to say, oh, pause and say, okay, what's the good of what's here? Or what is it that we can do now? And how can we move then through to some, and what other opportunities? The possibilities are there because something hasn't worked. There's possibilities there. And how do we shift to reframe it to say, the positive possibilities, they're opportunities. So that's where the practice of appreciation inquiry, the reframing practice, which is a powerful practice. And there, there are many practices that we can get to, so later, but hope is the cornerstone of appreciative resilience. Uh, one of the things that, that Jeannie and I really believe is that if we practice hope in a hopeful view, in a conscious way, we begin to set out the kinds of questions we ask. How does that generate hope for someone else? How does that generate hope for the organization, for ourselves? Uh, the, the practice of that is the cornerstone of appreciative resilience because the more we practice hope and a hopeful view, the more we're able to find that place again as the circle of despair grows. In despair, the more we focus not on the despair itself, the lost project, being fired, uh, losing a team, like all the things that go on in in a working life, a safety accident, all the things that can go on. Um, 
rather than focusing on the despair itself, asking the kinds of questions that answer, what is our greatest strength in this incredible challenge? What gifts can we bring to this moment? And it begins to shift the conversation from the despair itself to the fact that I'm strong enough. Even if it's just strong enough to get my socks on and get to work, I am strong enough. Then in the forgiveness circle, to actually begin to understand as a human being working with other human beings that things will happen, Um, many of them incredibly good, but some of them not so good. And if we open our hearts to forgiveness, it allows us to move back to hope. We don't get stuck in despair. Um, And so there are many practices in these three things. Jeannie mentioned reframing the kinds of questions we ask. There are many practices that can help us. And I'm thinking of teams. One of the things that we're, we're very passionate about is working with teams to be the best they can possibly be. And teams can easily get into despair when they don't pay attention to how they are with each other. They've got tasks ahead of themselves. They focus on those tasks, but they don't pause to say, how are we talking with one another? How are we interacting with one another? And all of that, that part, that is kind of a framework for forgiveness, that if we start to see each other um, through the, the lens of, well, when we come together to meet, uh, perhaps one of our agreements is to start by just going around a, in the circle and say, well, what one of the best things or one of their strengths you've used in the last month since we've met before, or whatever that timeline is, and then just start by being present with each other. Uh, and that allows people to see each other beyond the, issues they may have with each other to see each other as committed to and uh, to the team and being people that are people fully wonderful in the team. So I think that practice is an appreciative practice. Well, and a lot of people kind of think that others may have this almost like a baseline setting where, Hey, that person's always the negative Nelly or that person is always, you know, Pollyanna, everything's great. So, but it sounds like the information in the book, the techniques, the tactics, the questions, the reflections, the the workshop, the practice of appreciative inquiry and appreciative resilience really is something that people can learn to do. I mean, none of this stuff is is really ingrained in us uh, with respect to the practice of it. So, are you saying that people can actually, you know, they might have this baseline setting that they're always looking at despair, they're always looking at the negative, but there are things they can do to refocus, to reframe, to practice so they get better maybe at the hope part of it or the forgiveness part of it and kind of helps them get out of that being stuck in despair? Absolutely, yes. That this We call it a practice for this very reason, that it's something we can practice today. And let's use that example of a negative Nelly person. They can practice open a hopeful view. And they might be successful on Tuesday, but not so successful on Wednesday, but they can practice again on Thursday. That this is a life practice. It's something that we undertake as people who work in the world with other human beings, and we practice it every day. And we think resilience grows the more we practice. Uh, There's so many enablers to resilience, um, you know, the people around us, the conditions, and so on. 
And we think that the more we practice appreciative resilience, the stronger we become because we're building the enablers, whether they're individual enablers for us or the enablers of the ways in which people around us are there for us. We build enablers of resilience. And so when something happens, some of those enablers can kick in and help us. And I think one of the parts of forgiveness that often people forget is the notion of self-forgiveness. And, you know, in terms of practicing, as Joan's suggesting, through despair and so on, sometimes some days are just full of despair. And sometimes you feel like you're part of the problem and, and, and see others as part of the problem. So not only forgetting those others, forgiving those others as moving through that practice of seeing the best, but also look at yourself and say, okay, uh, hmm, I could have done this. Ah, reflection, that reflection. That's why we've given people reflective questions. But also along with that is that notion of forgiving oneself. Well, and I think forgiveness, I think that what you're talking about is really, it really comes down to, in my opinion, when I'm looking at myself, you you have to be self-aware there too. Like you need to be able to focus on, what's going on with you. And it seems like the practices that are in your book help us do that, help us, help us reframe how we're seeing ourselves in addition to how we can see everybody else or how we can see the organization or the team. It really comes back to self-reflection also. Yes. And we've structured the book this way so that the book is built around conversations with leaders about hope and despair and forgiveness And at the end of each chapter, there's a place for the people who are reading the book to reflect on these things for themselves, reflective questions that build. At the end of the book, there's a full workshop that people could do individually or do with their team at work. And and we've done this because we hope people take this work and and use it with their their team. So we've structured the book so it gives practical ways that people can practice. And we found that what, what, one of the things we found as we interview people and as we talk to people, we do these workshops with people around appreciative resilience is people say, wow, we don't really get to talk about despair because as leaders, if you talk about despair, you're not looked at as a good leader in a traditional sense who doesn't ever get into despair. So the appreciative inquiry allows um, a space to be created because people are focusing on the best of what is and how they can be even better building on strengths and building on what's working well. And so that also allows a safety to talk about the actual despair. And I think that's pretty powerful. People say that where is that opportunity in our regular places of whether it's work or family or, you know, your uh, community, it's just not a, a, a safe thing to do. And appreciation inquiry allows a lot of safety based on what, it, what else you bring to those conversations. Well, I think that's what is one of the things that sticks out to me is that notion that talking about this and having the tools to talk about it and how you said it, I loved how you said it because people will feel more safe talking about it because they do have this kind of a, a framework to use because that's really what it comes down to is some of the best organizations have that level of trust where they can talk about this stuff. But I really think and looking at even my own organization or the landscape of what's going on in the world today, it doesn't seem like that level of trust exists in a whole lot of organizations where 
you can be open about talking about some of these things, such as despair, um, that it's not frowned upon, that it's actually something they do in a healthy way. Yes. And I think it's so important for organizations to begin to look at how, how is it they talk about their strengths in times of challenges and times of despair that they don't just kind of pick a human being to blame and then do something with that human being, fire them or whatever they do, that they actually begin to focus on what are the challenges we're facing? And in that challenge, what are the strengths of the organization? What are the strengths of the individuals? One of the things that I ask, particularly when I work with senior leaders, is I say to them, do you know um, who will reach down their their hand and help you stand back up in your time of despair? And if the answer is you don't know, to begin to go and cultivate those kinds of relationships in your life. And then the reverse question, do you know how to reach down your hand and help someone else at work stand up in their time of despair? And just by asking the question, people begin to think about well, maybe I actually can reflect back to somebody some of their strengths when I know that they're struggling. Maybe I can begin to ask that person if I can take some of their load at this moment. Um, And so they begin to look at despair differently. Well, and I also think that that sounds like a, a lot that we've talked about on this podcast before, which is these conversations we have they are constructive and they can either, they can be going one of two directions. So by having a framework to use, to have these types of conversations, you're able to structure them in the way that they're actually building that resilience capacity because they're going the right direction. They're not just breaking something down because it's either, you know, conversations either going positive or negative. These types of conversations that if you do have structures and you do ask the right questions, they have that ability to construct that capacity to be resilient. Yeah, and I think everything is about conversations, whether it's with ourselves or with each other or in teams or partners or whatever combination there is. And I think uh, those are key to uh, the influence, the environment that you're working within and and certainly the practice as – as one practices, it, it, that influences the other people around because people start to notice it, well, whether they notice it and say something overtly or whether they just start to say, oh, I think I could say something about somebody else's strengths or I could ask a question that really focuses on what we're doing well. And, you know, people start to be influenced by that because they start to see how it shifts, how people, well, first of all, have energy to be um, thinking together rather than, you know, fighting together or whatever the alternative was. But it, they, people start subtly to change as people focus on, you know, the, the best of what is, the strengths of the, themselves and those around them. Well, I love what you're saying there because we, we are talking about conversations that we can have inside ourselves with other people as an organization as a whole, as a, as a system as a whole. We talk about these conversations And where I kind of want to wrap up this episode is I would love to get your opinion just because one of the, one of the main areas I focus on is the fact that people are social 
storytellers and that stories are a way we can create reality with each other. We can create feelings in each other and those feelings can elicit decision-making because decision-making is emotional. And so what is the power of stories with your book, with uh, a focus on appreciative resilience? Because I know that in the workshop portion, you talk about stories and some stories you can develop. What is the importance of these stories and why are stories important when we're, when we're dealing with appreciative inquiry or, the, or trying to build resilience? I think in both cases, appreciative inquiry, appreciative resilience, I think one of the things about we didn't talk about in the definition of appreciative inquiry is it's narrative based, is it story based, because human beings understand each other much more powerfully through story rather than lists of things or, you know, uh, logical means of getting places. That, those are all very useful in, in other ways. In human interconnection, that social interconnection is so powerful. And both this book and our previous book about appreciative inquiry, we, we lean heavily on using stories to illustrate because people then get it because it's a story they can go oh i've been in a situation like that oh oh, isn't that interesting because and i could tell a story if they were interviewing me because i've got lots of stories there so and you begin there and even as i go back to the notion of you know a team getting together and saying what's a quick story about you know what's happening in your world right now that's really exciting you well though those they don't have to be long stories they can just be short little stories and people start to see each other and feel connected don't you want to add to that? And I think the, the power of, of story for me, Mike, is that this is the core of being a human being. Like just this opportunity today for us to have a conversation, um, we begin to think about things differently. You know, you're kind of asking questions, and yet before the podcast, we're having a little bit of a conversation about our lives. We begin to see human beings differently the second we begin to tell a story, the second we sit down together or talk virtually together. Um, There's no question in my mind that one of the powerful pieces of resilience is the capacity to tell the story. Why am I hopeful? Why can I see something powerful in this situation, even though it appears bleak? Can I tell the story of, you know, I'm in a real mess, but you know what? I was able this morning to get up and, and, and manage things, and uh, I've actually had a pretty good day uh, at work. I was strong enough to deeply understand that good people do unusual things. And so I forgave those things in the workplace, which opened up a place for me to be different. They're all stories we tell, uh, and they're so extraordinarily powerful. Well, and with that, I really want to wrap this up just because I think it's a great place to leave off. I mean, we've talked about the importance of these different states of hope, of despair, of forgiveness, of how this really is a leadership journey. And I love how that's in the title of your book because it's not something that you can just pull off the shelf, open it up, and all of a sudden everything is fixed. It is a journey. It is a progression. It is building this capacity to be resilient through a lot of the great uh, ideas and steps and stories and conversations that you are able to put into your book. So with all that in mind, what can 
people listening, what can they, um, or where can they find more information about you? What kind of services do you offer? How do people get in touch with you? Because I know a lot of people will want to know more. So how do they get more information? How do they contact you? And what can you help them with? Well, I think we work with organizations all over the world uh, in everything from big organizational change uh, to board development to team development, uh, all based on this idea of appreciative inquiry and appreciative resilience. We're interested in working with ind- individuals and organizations to look at what they're, they're good at and how to foster more of that. And it is incredibly exciting work that we get to do. And so people can find us on our, on our website, which I think will be uh, posted uh, on your site. Uh, our emails are there and they can connect with us. And we are always interested in hearing people's stories about how they're using appreciative inquiry, how they're adapting the appreciative resilience work that uh, we're putting out into the world uh, for their own organization. Um, and so we're really excited about, that, about the work we get to do. Yes, I would just echo that, that... Uh we love the work we do, and we love the people we work with. This, uh, it's it's an exciting time when you're in challenging times, it's, and it's always going to be. The world is changing rapidly all the time, and change is not something that human beings necessarily uh, respond to well. And so, we love working with people who, you know, can use all sorts of tools and ways of looking at the world to make change actually exciting and have full of possibilities for a better future. Mike, I thought I might uh, end by reading a, a poem from the book. You know, we talked a lot about how practical the book is, but every chapter uh, starts with a poem, which helps people define these ideas of hope, despair, and forgiveness. Um, and this is a poem on hope. My beautiful friend, hope, you point me toward the sun, you shelter me in the rain, you trumpet my successes and hold me in my sorrows ever whispering, rise up, rise up. And I think that's a great place to leave off. Um, I think this has been an awesome conversation. I really wanted to thank you both for being on the, the episode because when we're talking about resilience, I mean, I know it's used as a buzzword quite a bit, but the fact that you both are focusing on it is something people do as a group, as a community, as social beings. I mean, that is super important, a huge difference than what a lot of people are seeing today. I mean, even when you look at a classic story structure, like the hero's journey, Mm. we see the resilience. That's what makes those stories so powerful because people have to go through the hard times and despair and they have to bounce back. And that's what makes things so powerful. And I really appreciate both of you coming onto the the podcast, talking about your book, Building Resilience with Appreciative Inquiry. Uh, it's got a lot of great information in there. I really wanted to thank you both for coming on. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mike. It was great to be interviewed by you. Well, everybody out there, if you enjoyed this interview, please share the podcast, review it, and and subscribe to it. It really does help us build this community of people that are interested and really drives them and what drives other people. And if you have a chance, I'd love for you to visit my website at www.crucialtalks.com and feel free to connect with me via email, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. If you need anything from me, please feel free to reach out. Have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.
please review, share, and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit CrucialTalks.com.